I was just thinking that, um, Jesus, you have overcome the world. The statement that that song is drawn from is, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. There's nothing that the trouble of this world can present to you that he cannot surpass. And so, that's not cheap triumphalism in which we're going, nothing can go wrong, or if something's going wrong, you haven't got enough faith. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus calls us this morning, uh, I believe, to further rest and I um, brought a little sermon illustration. Um, looking for rest without becoming like Jesus is like praying for rain to fill this bowl and leaving it upside down. Looking for rest. Not just without trusting Jesus. We looked at that last week. We've got to trust Him. He's going to invite us to trust Him more and at deeper levels. But looking for rest is like praying for rain to fill this bowl. But if I don't become like Jesus, if I don't become like Jesus, there's nothing that's going to open up my life. The shape of my life. And the way I position it will determine whether I can receive what he wants to give. We'll come back to that in a few minutes' time as we continue in our series, The Rest of Your Life. And uh, yeah, it's good to uh, just to have people, but I do especially want to welcome Carl's family uh, who are with us. It's great to have you all, and it's just great to see you, so... Um, thank you for joining us today. So as we look, we, we realize that the rest from God is the rest of God, and that the quality of the rest in your life, um, sorry, the quality of the rest of your life will be determined by the quality of the rest in your life. And you really do have to learn this thing of discovering what the Bible talks about again and again. And, and so we want to kind of explore that a little bit more because we've seen that rest is a gift to be received. It's a gift from creation. Remember, God finished all his works, absolutely adamant, and then, and then having done all his work, and the last thing he did was make Adam and Eve. And as Adam and Eve enter into the world, God says, now I've finished the work, enter into my rest. And so the creation itself gives us a picture of what it is to enter into peace and rest. And then we get from redemption in which Jesus finishes the work on the cross. He pays for our sin and the stuff that would rob us of our peace with God, our peace in God, our peace from God, and rob us of our rest. And Jesus has finished this work and now we enter his rest in the same way God has finished the work of creation. God has finished the work of redemption. You cannot add to your redemption, meaning you can't save yourself. You just, you just can't. But you don't have to. 
because this is a gift. This is an incredible gift. And so rest will elude and escape us until we find ourselves in the place where we can trust in the one who said it is finished on the cross. He had paid it all. It is finished. Your redemption, my salvation, is a gift we receive by faith. And so rest will elude and escape us until we place our trust in him. So last week in Mark's gospel, we looked at the passage that actually in Matthew's gospel comes after today's reading. Um, I don't know why this thing is misbehaving. There we go. Oh, okay, so today's series, uh, sermon title then is The Yoke is on You. I'll leave you to work that one out. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. It's, it's so interesting. Jesus seldom used elaborate language when he, when he kind of prayed and talked to his heavenly Father. It was just Abba. It was just Father. But this time, he's just so adamant. You are Lord of heaven and earth. Just thinking of God's greatness, his glory, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Daddy, this is what has pleased you to do. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, all things have been committed to me by my Abba, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's a very strong, dogmatic, exclusive statement that comes from Jesus. So the context of these verses is a grouping in Matthew, as it is with most things in Matthew's Gospel. Mark's Gospel is like a chronology. It's a sequence, similar to Luke. Matthew writes his Gospel in big clumps, and when you get to Chapters 11 and 12, you're dealing with how people are trying to work out the different responses they have to the work of God through the person of Jesus. And, um, and in particular, are people able to recognize, identify, and cooperate with who Jesus actually is? Uh, this section goes through several ups and downs, and it's where we see some of the most intense opposition emerging. And climaxes where Peter goes, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. People are wrestling. And, and, and people have got these questions about God. And, and you know what? It's really fine to have good questions. As long as your questions don't stop you from listening to the answer. Some people insist on asking the same questions of me again and again and again. And eventually one guy said to me, I know what you're going to say the answer is. And I said to him, and I know why you're going to tell me you don't agree. But the question is, you keep asking the same question, you just don't like the answer you're getting. <laughs> so people have questions. Comfortingly, people who struggle to work out who Jesus is is someone as great as John the Baptist, who at one point is, is you know, <laughs> look, the Lamb of God, he's going to take away the sin of the world. And then he has to send messengers to Jesus. Are, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Are you, are, are you the lamb? Did I hear the bleating wrong? What is, what's going on here? Are you the Christ of God? Jesus points John 
to the miraculous wonders and signs and says this is evidence that the kingdom of God is breaking in. It's pressing in. It's almost forcing its way. Um, And he comments a bit on John. Then Jesus goes on to condemn those who ignore the signs and wonders. He affirms the signs and wonders to, to John, but then there are others who just pretend they didn't happen. You see, miracles are demanding. <laughs> they insist that you recognize God at work and that not just you know for your entertainment, but that you adjust your living and your thinking accordingly. God is masking but revealing at the same time the hidden realities of his kingdom. And so, you know, these aren't just to wow you and entertain us. They are there to provoke us with this reality. God is alive and present and here right now. Just think about it. One clear miracle. Now, truly, truly, and maybe I'm blessed, you know. One clear, unmistakable miracle should be enough to change your life forever. But we shuffle them backwards. Sometimes the disciples did it within a matter of minutes. Do we do the same? Or do we take those things and move forward? You see, miracles are demanding. And Jesus speaks judgment over Towns like Capernaum that had seen, for example, in one evening, every second demonized person in that town healed and delivered and set free. And they still don't follow Jesus. They still don't turn their lives around. So they left wondering, you know, wanting God to be doing stuff. And so, Jesus says, pretty much any child can see and know the Father if, and only if, they will let the Son reveal the Father to them. You really want to know God? Jesus insists. It's a radical, exclusive claim. In the same category of John 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's about as exclusive as you can get. And then he gives this radically inclusive invitation. How's that? (laughs) Come to me, all. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Sorry, it's missing on the text. That's my main text. Where did it go? Sorry, there's a finger trouble. I clearly cut and paste the wrong thing. It's over here, it's in your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 11, it's our main text for the day. I do apologize. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is it down? Must I just go look? Uh, it's going to come up in sequence, but I'm, I'm, thank you, Ilza. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, 
Learn from me. Not just learn about me. Learn from me. Jesus wants to be personally involved, relationally connected to you. When I learn from someone, it assumes that there's proximity. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Most of us have heard of the slow food revolution. Has anybody been part of it? Anybody enjoying the benefits of slowing your food down? Slowing your food down in its production, in its cultivation, in its preparation. Slowing your food down in its consumption. Slowing your food down in its enjoyment. I think it's a wonderful movement. These words of Jesus are part of the slow spiritual food movement. I'm afraid that this series just can't be taken on the fly. You know, it can't be a quick thing. This is going to require, because if you join the slow food movement, you can't shape your life as if you're just going to pop into McD's and get yourself a five-minute burger. You've got to allow the time for the slow food cooking to happen. And if your life has been defined by convenience and speed up until this point, you're going to be disappointed because the shape of your life is still the wrong way around. You've got to find a way to turn the shape of your life in which the broad part is faced towards the Lord. <laughs> and so much of our lives are ordered in which the narrow bit and the the bottom end of the bowl. We're wondering why it doesn't fill up. See, Jesus' words are words you can't rush. And interesting, Jesus is saying this to people who are not really even sure of who he is. In other words, you don't have to be 100% like a super Christian, sorted out all your faith and stuff. He says, you can discover who I am by testing me on this thing. You will discover who I am. If you have tried sorting out peace and rest in your life and it hasn't worked, why don't you come to me? He's talking to people who are not sure who he is. And he's still inviting them. He's saying, is gelas? Are you hassled and stressed? Come to me. And you will find out who I am because of the impact I have on your inner, inner person. So come to me, all of you. <laughs> Those of you who are not working, you're burned out, you're bone weary, you're tired, you're exhausted, you've worked without rest. Jesus says, come to me. You're carrying loads you can't sustain. You're chasing diaries and deadlines you can't even explain. You certainly can't justify. And you're probably trying to impress people who don't care. Because you're worried. And so the cycle intensifies because you're worried about what people will think. So you try and perform harder, you try and perform harder, and the harder you try and perform, 
And sometimes it's actually profitable. Sometimes it's actually working, apparently, in the definitions of this world. In other words, you're working hard and you're getting its rewards, but your soul is bone dry and empty and weary. And so you're carrying loads you can't explain. In the original Greek word used here, the word is not just this weariness, this tiredness, this it's also a sad word. It's often used to describe what you get after a lot of grief and trauma. In other words, this is a weariness that breaks your heart. You just wonder if you can actually go on in this space. But Jesus carries the faith that no one has a burden too great for him. No one has a heartache or a stress or an anxiety or a pressure or a load that he cannot carry. But notice this too. Jesus assumes that you're already carrying something else. He assumes that there is already a yoke on you. So the yoke's on you. But he makes this promise, if you come to me in faith, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, these words must have hit this Jewish audience like a thunderbolt. Why? <laughs> because Jesus is pointing to his power, his power to give rest. And this is a clue to his identity. Listen to what God said to Moses in the tent of meeting, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God claims to give rest. And he has Jesus teaching in the name of God and saying, I will give you rest. He's pointing to his own identity, his own divine capacity. Rest is a gift from God that Jesus claims to be able to give. I give you this rest. You know, most of the teachers say, I will show you where to find the rest of God. Jesus is saying, come to me. Not just saying, there's the rest. He's saying, in me, with me, from me, is your rest. Jesus has the means to do this. And he has the grace. Remember, this is a gift. He has the willingness to give the gift. Rest is a gift. But you can't receive this gift without opening your heart and receiving faith. So you need to let that faith and trust and confidence in him awaken so that you can receive this thing you need. He's saying, you want rest? Come to me. But you're going to have to do what the people around were struggling to do. These people, John in prison and people in these towns and they're harassed and helpless and struggling. And Jesus sees them and says, come to me, come to me. All of you. <laughs> I can carry your burden. And he, and he means it personally and he absolutely means it universally. When I was a kid, there was the song, If He Carried the Weight 
of the world upon his shoulders. Brother and sister, he will carry you. I will give you rest. We can look at this a bit more next week, but rest is chosen stillness. The grace to be fully present. You can't be at rest if you wish you were somewhere else. You've kind of got to accept the space you're in. It's just true. And if we're wishing and longing and hoping that we could be somewhere else or doing something else, rest starts with being fully present to the place you're in and being content in that space. And being at peace. In which I am able to look at what is in my world and in my space. See it for what it is and be at rest. Now sadly most of us don't want rest. We want an escape. Most of us don't want to come to peace with the place we're in and the circumstances that are around us. We want an out. We don't want chosen stillness. We don't want quiet times alone. The thoughts, emotions, temptations that push to the surface when we have to be by ourselves scare us spitless. Now, just some people get anxious just about the thought of what true rest actually means. In other words, rest itself has become a threat to us because we are so used to escapism and filling our lives with stuff that when we want to come and pause and choose the one thing. And so we want distraction and oblivion and adrenaline and entertainment We want the feeling that we're alive, essential, important, that the world better know how important we are. And that is our yoke and our burden. And instead of thinking about praying for our daily bread, we live with our daily grind. You heard that term, the daily grind? It just goes over and over. And it feels like it's wearing us away and grinding us down. That is our yoke. These things that we escape to and escape with are the yokes that we carry. The things that we look to comfort us and give us rest are the false comforters. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the comforter. But we look for something else to console our souls. So Jesus assumes you're already comforting I mean, sorry, carrying something. You're already yoked to. You're already tied to. you connected to something. Notice this also. Jesus offers rest, not sleep. (laughs) Now, sometimes, like Elijah, we do just need some seriously good sleep. And sleep is good. God doesn't need it, yet he rests. But sleep can just become another escape. How many of you have struggled in a time of depression? Not to want to just shut out the world and sleep it all away and to hell with the rest of everyone else. That is a warning that sleep has become an escape instead of a healing. That's the thing. (laughs) 
Jesus offers us rest, not sleep, because learning rest will definitely improve your sleep. Learning rest will improve your sleep a great deal. And so Psalm, the psalmist says, I will lie down and sleep in peace because you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus offers rest, not recreation. Many of us are looking for activities that enable us to avoid the silent places, the place where we're present. So that we're always able to look forward to something else in anticipation so that we never have to be still and live with our own inner world. And so we, you know, many of us are trying to fill our empty souls with more and more dramatic forms of escape. Remember we said, you know, our rhythm today is work, 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 holiday! Sure sign of escapism. Work, rest, work, rest, work rest. Holiday? Yes. I mean, the Bible's full of great holidays. There's nothing wrong with those. But if it's work, 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 holiday, then something's gone wrong. And I can assure you, if you sit down and think about what you're hoping your holiday will achieve for you, you're in escape mode. I see some wives poking their husbands right now. <laughs> Don't laugh, Bevan. I know Cindy's over there. <laughs> Why is it? Because the distraction is so compelling that we forget our internal world and our spiritual need and, and emptiness. And we're hoping that that thing will finally do. And, and, you know, we push the budget, we take our chances, and we squeeze our leave, and we hope that we will find rest for our souls. Other yokes that we carry instead of the yoke of Jesus is busyness, in which we are trying to show people just how important we are. And God offers rest because out of rest comes creative power, not busyness. Media, whichever one is your dope. And it has, it's true, media has become dope. You know, we want to think about it. You track Chemicals in your brain, and they've done enough tests, and that media has become our dope. Other people's lives. We find ourselves looking in and wanting to be consoled or comforted or stirred or whatever it is. And so we can't stop looking at what other people are up to. And whether that is on media or is literally peeping over the fence or is in the gossip and the information that we share, we don't face our own world, we'd rather peep into the world of others. Half the news articles in this world are just gossip and voyeurism, really. You don't need them to live well. Eating too much, eating too little, substance, alcohol abuse, and maybe addictions that are much darker. And can I say this? And I know... We've walked a long road, many of us. This has been true for you in the past. And Paul was able to say to the Corinthian church, you were this, you were that, and you're that no longer, for you have been washed, you have been redeemed. This stuff does not need to define you going forward, but if this is where you are turning when you want rest, 
then you want to stop turning to these things and start turning to Jesus. Why? Because these things empty our souls. They distract them. They divert them. But they cannot restore them. Yet these are where we go when our souls can't rest. So when you find yourself drawn to this stuff, say, Jesus, why am I finding it so hard to come to you? And begin to break agreements with what this stuff does instead of trusting Jesus for what he does. You see, this yoke is on me, this yoke is on you. And Jesus knows and invites us to make an exchange. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. I know it's a double negative, but listen carefully. You're never going to not carry something. So why don't you carry something from me instead of the junk of this world? You're never going to not carry something. So carry in your life what I carry in mine. Grace, love, freedom, community. Community, there's that word. Where are you gone? No. What did you... Community is not... Yeah, not living in the same place. It's the connection between people. And Jesus built meaningful things that filled it up. You see, in the shape of the life of Jesus, the yoke of Jesus is defined by his habits, which is the flip side of our addictions. You just got to get good addictions. You got to build into your neural pathways if you want to get all fancy the ability to keep choosing things that your default setting knows, this is how I'm, where I'm going to go and I will feel a whole lot better. And my soul will be at rest. And so habits are the flip side. So Jesus is saying, take my habits on you and I will give you rest. Jesus offers this as an invitation. Notice this, he's saying, you take it. He's not going to force it on you. This shape of life, this way of living, is something you literally have to go, Jesus, please can. And he says, yes, take it. It's yours. I've paid for it. I want you to have it. But I am not going to force it on you. You have to choose. So Jesus won't force you to rest, although some of us lying in hospital beds with broken things or whatever often say, you know what, Craig? Incredibly, this feels like a mercy. Because I've been forced to rest. But, you know, why break a leg when you can actually just come forward for prayer? You know, I just think the odds are so much better in the one direction. So there are habits that can bring to you the word of Jesus to pray, to worship, and to rest. So he says, take this, this yoke, take this life shape. Because I am gentle and humble in heart. Sorry, I think I've I've really messed up my I'm missing a slide. Listen carefully. This is an important slide. I don't know what I did to it. I didn't check my PowerPoint this morning. I do apologize. Learn from me. This word learn. Greek word means to actively hear and listen. So you like, you know, 
You're engaging in the moment when someone is communicating. You're learning, actively hearing. Secondly, learning to increase your knowledge. I mean, that's what we hope happens when our kids are learning at school, that they're increasing their knowledge. But learning means most fundamentally, especially in a Hebrew context, to master by use and practice. To master by use and practice. This is not just about transferring of information. It's about imparting skills that people actually master by use and practice. And there's a lovely ambiguity here. There's a wordplay that the listeners would have smiled at. You see, a rabbi's teaching and his way of life together referred to what a rabbi would call, they would call that rabbi's yoke. So if you take a certain rabbi's yoke on, you're taking his way of life, his teaching, his frame. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's contrasting this to the burden. And there is, there's another rabbi who had a whole lot of different words, and it's a whole interesting study to compare how Jesus frames this as an act of grace rather than a rebuke. But people, you know, this was just a given. So in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 We read this, that a disciple is not above his rabbi, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so the expectation that you will master and reproduce the skills that your rabbi has for you is what is communicated in this idea of yoke, because you're taking on his teaching and his life shape. So when Jesus tells us to take on his yoke and learn from him, doing far more than just you know, listen to the occasional information. He's inviting us into the shape of his own life. He's calling us to live as he did. And there's incredible blessings and benefits, including experiencing the love of God as Jesus did. But I'm not going to find my rest without matching my rhythm and pace to the life of Jesus. Because if I'm trying to find rest without becoming like Jesus, without taking on his yoke, without learning and mastering his habits and patterns, it's like praying for rain and wondering why the bowl doesn't fill. I've got to learn how to shape a life in which the bowl is presented to God the right way out. Jesus is saying, I want you to see how I position my life. I want you to see how I shape my life, how I pray, how I worship, how I am in the word, how I am in community, how I receive from the Father. And so there's this rather puzzling statement in uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse uh, 6, in which Paul says, apparently in this transactional non-grace thing, where he's just said, verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus He says this, now the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a reward from his own fields. Jesus believes that when you are living and ministering, because that's the context that Paul was talking about, and Paul is saying this to Timothy, when you are living in ministry as Jesus did, rooted in grace, you will be the first person to be nourished by the grace that you're giving to others. It's not that you feed your identity of your ministry. Your identity is fed by God. But when you are, like Jesus, shaping your life to receive out of the relationship you had with God and your ministry is defined 
by the presence and the power and the fullness and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, people begin to receive through you, and you are not depleted. You're a hardworking farmer, but you are fed from your own field first. Living for God was never meant to deplete you. It was meant to satisfy you. And so Jesus explains to his disciples in John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, and he seems so satisfied. They're like, you know, who fed you? Did someone go get you a hamburger and a Coke? How did they do that faster than us? And he goes, my food is to do the will of my Father and finish his work. He's so satisfied in that place. Now, ministry can tire us. But when ministry is fundamentally done out of relationship and by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, you will find that you are fed and not depleted when you get it right. And so if the shape of my life is wrong way round, praying for more rain is not the point. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that's a little bit what church is for us, you know. We've come here and we go, God, let it rain, let it rain. And we, you know, and we sing it and we've got songs that use those words and we're crying out, God, send it, send it. And he's going, but your life shape is upside down. By the time you walk out the door, the benefits will be gone. And the rest will elude you. But if you will learn from me, learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle. And I'm humble in heart. you will find rest for your souls. Some of us have just been living upside down. And Jesus says, come to me, you who burned out and stressed. And you're carrying a load you don't want to carry no longer. Why don't you learn the addictions of Jesus? He was addicted to love. He was addicted to grace. He was addicted to freedom. He shaped his life and his routines and his habits so that that which mattered most defined the impact he had on the world around him.